so we're in our second and final week of our two-week series called Culture Shock. And by definition, culture shock is a feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who's suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. So if you go into another culture, all of a sudden you're kind of shocked by the way they do things, by the way uh, what they eat, their hygiene habits, what they, how they talk, maybe their language, whatever it is. But then last week we said, well, what happens if the culture around you changes? So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are digging in and trying to learn more about the Lord and the Bible, you've kind of probably experienced some sort of culture shock maybe in the last decade because things in this world are changing around us. Now, last week we learned there's three common responses when stuff like this happens, when we, when we have culture shock or when things change around us. And the first is fight. Remember, we fight it. We're, this is not going to happen. I'm protecting what I want, and this is the, things are not going to change, okay? So we put up our dukes, and we fight. And we learned last week that's not actually the best thing to do. It doesn't really work because when we fight, sometimes people that are fighting us fight harder, and it just becomes kind of chaos. The second thing we learned about was flight. That means I'm out of here, okay? I'm getting out of here. I don't like this anymore. I'm leaving. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. And then the final response was freeze. Basically, like, I'm not going to do anything. Things are changing. I don't understand this world. I'm just going to go in my little house, lock the door, and hope that Jesus returns really soon. I don't want to do anything, and I'm afraid to do anything. But last week, we introduced a fourth option and I believe it's a biblical option that the Apostle Paul uses in Acts chapter 17, and that is this. Engage with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. Remember, we're here to be a light to the world. So we want to engage with the culture in hopes to point them to Jesus, in, in hopes that they would trust in Jesus and it would save their soul. So what Paul did was he went into Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he reasoned with the Jewish people in the synagogue. He reasoned with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers in the marketplace. Because he did not fight with them and because he reasoned with them, they were actually willing to listen to them. And where we're picking up is actually they wind up giving him center stage at the Oropagus. So there's, if you can picture this, all these philosophers, all these people hanging around, talking and thinking, and people are speaking and stuff, and they say, well, this guy Paul, he has something to tell us. Let's give him center stage. So that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. That's where we pick up. Let's see. Okay, there we go. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So here's what Paul does. He kind of, out of the gates, he comes and he pays them a compliment. That doesn't hurt, right? Okay, people like hearing encouraging things. It never hurts being kind to people, pointing out what you appreciate about them. It will kind of open their hearts, open their minds. And so Paul basically is not being manipulative here. He's just saying, hey, this is the truth. I walked into Athens, remember last week, I saw all these idols, all these pictures, all these um, altars and stuff. These are very religious people. They're kind of searching, they're thinking about spiritual things. So he says, I perceive that you're very religious. And then he goes on to say this. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. 
So he, the reason why he says this is he passed along, saw all these objects of worship, saw what was going on in their culture. I can only imagine what Paul would say to America today, okay? I can only imagine what Paul would say. He would probably say something like, people of America, I perceive that you're very political, and you seem to think that there is one candidate or political party that's going to fix everything. Would that be a true statement? Yeah, of course it would. So that would be something that maybe we would say to our culture. Paul didn't say that to that culture because they weren't dealing with issues like that at the forefront in Athens. Athens was this mecca of religious idol worship. So when he walked in, he engaged with the culture. So here is Paul's observations. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So as Paul is walking through Athens, he sees all these idols, all these objects of worship, so much so that they made an altar to an unknown God, to an unknown God. This is true. Here's what happens. Here's the, here's the altar to the unknown God. This is actually in Rome in the Palatine Museum. Okay, so they found this thing and they found the inscription says, to the unknown God. So they were so concerned about the gods that they were thinking, what if we miss one? Okay, What if we miss one and that God shows up? And he's like, yo, there's no altar for me. And they're like, there's yours. There's yours. Okay. We didn't know about you. Okay. Don't do anything bad to us. Okay. So that's how religious and how like superstitious in some senses that they were. Now, Paul uses this, right? He uses what's going on in the culture to actually say, hey, listen, you know what? There actually is one true God, and although you do not know him, he's not represented here. He didn't see anything about the one true God. He can be known, and I'm going to tell you about him. So that's what Paul does. See how he engages with that culture? He just says, hey, listen, you guys are looking at this. I know that God. And I'm going to tell you about him. So look what it says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to break down this verse a little bit more. But there's reasons. There's very specific reasons why Paul told them, these specific truths about God. And that's because he's contrasting the one true God with the false gods and idols that they were worshiping. You see, when Paul went into this, he kind of knew what he was getting into. He did his research. He kind of heard their teachers. He was interacting. When we look at Acts chapter 17, the entirety of what happened with Paul is not recorded. Okay, it's not recorded. So he kind of knew what was going on. So he starts off with the God who made the world and everything in it. Okay, he starts off by telling them he is the creator of everything. By and large, they did not believe that about any of their gods. They did not believe that the gods were the creator. Okay, being Lord of heaven and earth, he is over the heavens and the earth. Their gods their gods had different things they were in charge of, the god of the sun, the god of the moon. So if you study like some mythology and different things like that, they had these gods in charge of everything. But now here's what basically Paul's saying. He says the, the god that you don't know, he's like the CEO. He's like the commander in chief. 
He's the one that made everything. He's head honcho. He's in charge. This was kind of like foreign concepts to some of them. Then he goes on and says, does not live in temples made by man. You know what? God is not housed in a building. In fact, nothing can contain him. Their gods and their idols were put in place. They were man-made. They were put in places. Oh, this is where this God lives. This is where this God lives. This is his little temple or this is his little chapel. One of the things that you have to understand about church, right? This building, God is not housed here, okay? This church is a resource for us to use to reach the community. You know, when some people, I remember when I was a youth pastor, like a kid would like, you know, slip up and curse at youth group. The kid would be like, yo, you cursing church, okay? It doesn't matter if it's in the building or out of the building. It's wrong, okay? So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it more wrong because, like, God lives here. So Paul is saying, like, hey, listen, that's not the way it goes. You know, that's not the way it goes. He doesn't live in temples made by man. And then it says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. This does not mean that we don't serve God. But what it does mean is he doesn't necessarily need us to serve him, okay? The job will get done, but we're called to serve him, and obedience serves him. But the one true God does not exist because people came up with him like those idols that were made. The scriptures teach in the beginning was God, okay? So God wasn't uh, some kind of imagination of some person a long time ago. Then it says, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You know what? He's saying to them, he's the one that made us. Unlike your idols and your false gods that were made by people. So these are general things that he is talking about as God, the one true God is the creator. Paul did this because he was speaking to people that had spiritual interests. They were worshiping man-made idols and following mythology. So essentially, Paul was saying, hey, you know what? You're going to give me center, center stage? Introducing the real God, the one true God, all this stuff. And now, you know, you might think, well, that, that's kind of like fighting with them, isn't it? But it really wasn't because what he was doing was he was taking what he knew was true of their culture and actually using those things as springboards to say, hey, you know what? You guys, you're not far off in a sense. You're thinking of these things, but let me clarify your thinking. See, Paul engaged with what their culture believed and told them. For us today, in our culture, we have to navigate through who we are talking to. If you went into work with this message, people would be like, yeah, I don't have a little statue at my house. So they would. this wouldn't even almost make sense to them because that's not what they're doing in their culture. So now the hard part is this. We have to figure out what are the people around us looking for? What are they interested in? What are they placing their faith in? What's their life focused on? This is where it gets hard. This means that you have to have friendships. You have to be in relationships. You have to be talking with people. You have to be thinking, are they looking to science to explain everything? And some of you are like, I sure hope not, because that's hard, okay? But if they are, you need to find out, like, what they believe, what they believe about the creation of the world, what they believe about who we are as people, what they believe about where we came from, so you can interact with them. 
You can't just roll in and be like, that's dumb, okay? You can't do that because it's not going to work, okay? And then all of a sudden, it just becomes a fight. So you need to look. Are they interested in science? Are they into new age thinking or spirituality? This is a big one. I get this all the time because I'm a pastor. People are like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor, okay? So uh, at that point, it's on, right? Okay, as soon as I say that, you know, people are like, okay. And a lot of people say, well, I consider myself very spiritual. I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. They don't even know what it means. So here's the thing. You have to start digging in. So at each point with each person in each conversation, this is where the hard work begins because now you're like, okay, how am I going to navigate this? How am I going to talk to them if I really care about them, if I really want to engage with them, if I really care about their soul? Hey, you're spiritual? What does that really mean to you? How, what, how does that work out in your life? So these are all the questions. Are they in the politics? If you have to figure, uh, like, you have to figure how to interact with them. If they're into politics, this is big now, right? Politics are big. It used to be you don't talk about religion and politics. Now everybody talks about politics, so I'm like, we're going to talk about religion, okay? Because you broke that rule, so we're going to break this one, okay? So here's the thing. If somebody's really into politics and you're like, yeah, I am not seeing eye to eye with this person, you could fight them. You could fight them. I don't know. If it's, if it's work for you, tell me at the door. Share the story, okay? Because usually it doesn't, okay? Usually it doesn't. So you, if you can't see eye to eye with them on the, op, on the issues, how can you have opportunities to talk with them about Jesus? And let me just tell you, Jesus wasn't Republican or Democrat, okay? We have to focus in on who Jesus is. Because you know what? The politics stuff, it's going to go away, okay? It's going to go away at some point, and you're, you're like, hallelujah, okay? So here's the thing. What is their focus? And whatever their focus and beliefs are, you need to be informed and then engage with them. Now, this is hard, okay? This takes time. This takes patience. This takes love. This takes compassion. This takes all those things that are true to our faith that we should be practicing rather than beating them up like we talked about last week. But here's what Paul does. He gets more specific. He says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So now this one true God that Paul is teaching them about is directly involved in human affairs. Now, this is so important for Paul to communicate to that culture because their idols and false gods were not known to be involved in human affairs, okay? They were either idols, little statues and stuff that couldn't do anything, or they were like mythological gods that were like fighting in the heavens and didn't have anything to do with humans. But now Paul comes up, he's got center stage, and he's like, guess what? There's one true God, and he cares about each one of you. He cares about human affairs. He cares about what you're thinking, what you're doing, who you're with, who you're around, how you engage with them, how you live your life. He's involved in human affairs. This one true God I'm teaching you about is involved in human affairs. Now, some today believe that God is far off. They believe that God is far off and doesn't care about each one of us. But that is clearly not the case. 
See, God is so involved, so much so, that he placed us all in the place that we're supposed to be. He determined our allotted periods and boundaries. That means he placed you where you're supposed to be. Remember the flight response? I'm out of here. Well, guess what? Not if God doesn't let you, (laughs) okay? You're not out of here unless God says you're out of here. I mean, you might be dealing with this in your career, maybe in your job. You're like, why am I here, Lord? And you're like, Lord, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this job. I hate this job, this and that. And every turn you make, there's a closed door and a locked window. You're like, what are you doing, Lord? And he's like, that's where you need to be. I need you there because you're going to be a light there. You're going to learn things there. So then the question becomes this. Can we go against God's will? And I would say, if you're being disobedient, if you're being disobedient. So as a believer in Christ, here's what you want to do. You want to pray and seek guidance from him when it comes to things like changing careers, relocating, any decision that radically impacts our lives. Obviously, we know we pray about anything, but everything. But here here's the truth. When we have these big monumental things going on in our life, we need to spend a ton of time asking the Lord, seeking guidance from his word, seeking guidance from godly people so that we know that we're right where the Lord desires us to be. Now he gives a reason. He gives a reason why God put each person in the place that they're at. And he says this, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You know, Paul is teaching us that we are in the time and the place that we're supposed to be to seek after God. You know, when people, like, maybe this happened to you, people come to me and they're like, oh, it was, it was unbelievable. I was here and this happened and this person had this question and I was right there and this exact thing happened. Let me just tell you, you can be amazed, but don't be surprised. Okay, you can be amazed, but don't be surprised because God is the one who is orchestrating these things. Now, Paul is basically saying, unlike your gods that are far off, the one true God is right here waiting for each person. He's a personal God and placed you where you are for the purpose of seeking after him, of seeking after him. So if somebody's a non-believer, the purpose is for them to seek and know the the, the one true God. If somebody's a believer, the purpose is for us to seek and dig in and get to know God more. You know, your Christian life doesn't end when you trust in Jesus. Like, I'm a Christian now. Okay, that's it. No, you're digging in. You want to learn more. You want to learn more about your spiritual life, how you can impact other people. So then he goes on to say this, for in him we live and move and have our being, even, as even some of your own poets have said, For we indeed are his offspring. For we are indeed his offspring. Now Paul is teaching here. We live and move and have our being in Christ. But what he also does is he weaves in this quote. He weaves in this quote from one of their own poets. So he's knowing the culture. He's reading. He's engaging. He's not coming in as the like, what's going on around here? Okay, he's coming in and he knows about this poet. The poet is Aratus. He was most likely speaking of the heathen god Jupiter. But Paul used this quote to show them that he full well knows 
what they're believing and reading. And although Aratus was wrong in saying that people are the offspring of Jupiter, he was correct in saying that we are the offspring of God. And Paul is telling them who that one true God is. So he goes on. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. So again, he's really honing in on that culture. He goes, people are his offspring, all the offspring of God. There's no way that God is like any of these idols. Now, some people might say, okay, this is kind of almost like fighting now. But it really wasn't. It was engaging. He was saying like, okay, these idols and the statues and these things that you and your culture are worshiping, you know what? The God, the one true God, is actually nothing like that. He's not something that we came up with. He's something that created us. He's someone that created us. Psalm 94.9 was a scripture reading. It actually starts off, I should have added verse 8 in here, because it actually says, you dull people, okay? You dull people. Don't you get it? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Paul's walking into this environment where they're like, oh, there's that guy. Let's bow down to him. Okay, let's put him over here. Okay, what's he going to do? Nothing. Okay, good. Um, So that's the environment that he was walking into. So he's saying, no, no, no. The gods that we worship, we're image bearers of him. We didn't come up with him. He came up with us. He's the one who made us. Because people are the offspring of God, there is no way God is like these little idols and statues that people in the culture worship. In fact, God is not what we think up or imagine. He's much greater. He's much greater. We can't even contain. You know, we have these conversations, like, you know, about, like, not understanding certain things about God. We're like, oh, that's hard, or I don't understand this, or I don't like that, or there's not an answer for this. Listen, God is so vast and amazing if we understood every single thing it would make us him we're not god okay he is the one that has created all of us so then he says this the times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent now this verse the times of ignorance can be taken in two ways The first way times of ignorance can be taken, it can be a reference to the time before Jesus came to the earth. People had faith in God that he would send the Messiah. They were reading the prophecies and stuff. They didn't know the whole full picture. So basically, you know, before Jesus came, it was like a time of ignorance. Or the second way it can be taken is the time of ignorance can be the time before these specific people heard about who Jesus is and what he's done. It doesn't really matter which one it is, because the bottom line is this. When people hear about Jesus, it demands a response. Let me say that again. When people hear about Jesus, it actually demands a response. And that response needs to be repent, which simply means change of mind. Now, your mind's got to change, really, about two things. Who Jesus is and what he's done and about your sin being an offense to God. Now, this is where people get tripped up, because you've heard me say this hundreds, if not thousands of times here at this church. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. If you can't admit that you're a sinner, if you're like, well, I'm not that bad, 
I'm better than my neighbor. I've never been in jail. You know what I mean? Like if you start like going down the laundry list of how good of a person you are, you're not repenting. Your mind's not changing. You're not saying, yeah, I do sin. Maybe it's not a terrible sin. Maybe it's just a little sin. Whatever it is, the truth is we are all sinners. So the scriptures say we have to repent of that. We have to admit that sin is wrong. It's an offense to God. We also have to repent about who Jesus is. Change our mind about who Jesus is. Is Jesus just a man that walked around and taught people and told people all this kind of good stuff? Or was he actually God? Well, let me just tell you, he actually said he was God. So you can't say he's a good person if he wasn't God, because then he would just be a liar, right? He would just be a liar. So we have to repent and change your mind about who Jesus is and what he has done. The scriptures teach clearly we are sinners. Jesus is the Savior that died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And three days later rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures say all who believe will have eternal life. Well, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need salvation from Jesus? And Paul gives the reason. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That's Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance to all by doing what? Raising him from the dead. We are judged by how we respond to Jesus. When you leave this earth, you will be faced with the Lord. How you respond to Jesus. You, if you re- reject Jesus, you're judged by your sins. Okay, you, he, God's going to look upon your sin, see it's an offense to him, and that's what you're judged by. If you're in Christ, we actually are not judged like those who are not in Christ because Christ took our sin upon himself. But interestingly enough, right, here he says this, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given what? Assurance to all by doing what? Raising him from the dead. Every time I preach the gospel, right, I say Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He rose three days later to do what? Prove that he is God. Okay, I'm glad you're listening. Okay, prove that he is God. Okay, the resurrection gives us in assurance of this truth. That's what Paul is saying. But one observation from this passage is it seems like Paul didn't really preach the entire gospel because I didn't hear anything about the cross, right? But the implication from the entire passage is that he did because look back in verse 18, which we covered last week. What does this babbler wish to say? This is what people were saying about Paul. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching what? Of Jesus and the resurrection. Now, amazingly enough, a lot of these people were probably alive when the crucifixion happened. What an amazing venue to preach in. Imagine that. So basically, what what we can figure from the scripture is there's some stuff left out. The, the historical account isn't every single thing. It's a historical narrative. So Christ was preaching the cross. I mean, excuse me, Paul was preaching the cross. So now we move on. And this is kind of close things up. But let me just tell you, this is one of my most favorite passages in the scriptures. I think I preached on this on one Easter, maybe five or six years ago. And the reason why I love this so much is because it's a reminder of the ways that people will will respond when we tell them about Jesus. You know, many times in life we can get discouraged, right? You know, you hear this two-week message about engaging with the culture and talking to people about Jesus. But, I mean, let's 
be honest here, be real here. We're going to talk to people, and, and, and some of them are just not going to be interested, or even worse, they might be against the message. We may feel like this culture doesn't want to hear what God word, God's word has to say, so we shrink back. We don't tell anybody, right? You hear me up here, and you're like, oh, it's easy for Pastor Mike to captive audience. Everybody comes because, you know, they know something about Jesus. Like, does he really do this in real life? Like, is he doing this outside walls? Is he engaging? And, you know, you might be asking yourself, am I engaging? Can I engage? Should I engage? So sometimes we know what we believe, and we surround ourselves with like-minded Christian friends and family members, and we freeze. We close the door, lock it, hope Jesus comes back, and just say, okay, <laughs> okay, nobody knows we're here. We don't have to do this stuff. Like engaging with the culture, that's hard. But for me, what I do is I use this passage as an encouragement. Even when the Apostle Paul preached the gospel, not everyone believed. And people in the culture responded in what I'm going to suggest, similar ways to how they respond today. When you and I engage with the culture, we should not get discouraged by people's response. It has to do with their spirituality, where they are in their spiritual journey, what God is doing in their life. We can study, we can pray, we can prepare, we can throw awesome events at the church and invite people to those things. But the response by them is always going to be based upon the work of God, the work that God is doing in their life. So you might talk to people and there's going to be three responses and we're going to go over this passage. It says this. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So there's three responses that we can kind of expect. The first is some mocked. Some people we talk to about the Lord they will just not have any interest. They may be indifferent or they may think that trusting in Jesus is foolish. They may be against the message. They may be against the message. This will happen. Expect it. Don't get discouraged. Expect it. Some people you talk to will mock. They'll reject. People rejected Jesus when he was right in front of their face. They rejected the message when Paul preached it. We will have rejectors. So what do we do? What do we do if somebody rejects? We can fight. It's not going to work, right? Jesus actually says in Matthew 10, 14, shake the dust off your feet. He sends out the disciples and he says, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move to another town. Does that mean we're like, mm, okay? No. What it means is this. What it means is don't let it get to you. Don't hang on to it. Don't hold a grudge. Don't get discouraged. This is between them and God. Remember, you are just the messenger. Do you yell at your mailman when he gives you a bill? I hope you don't, okay? So here's the thing. Some people will not like the message. They're, it's ultimately between them and God. So don't hold it against them. Don't hang on to it. Continue to pray for them. Don't say, I'm never going to talk to them again, even if they have a question, okay? Don't do that, okay? Some will mock. Others said, we will hear you again about this. 
This, in my experience, is a very common response. These people are not against it. They're not for it. They may be questioning. They may be seeking. They may be interested. They see you living out your faith. It's working for you. They're intrigued. They're not quite sure it will work for them. They're, they're not ready for a commitment. They may have things in their life that stand in the way of them trusting in Jesus. But the bottom line is they're not ready yet. Spiritually, they're not there yet. This, let me just tell you, is the group of people that will be the greatest group, right? The, the biggest group. You will probably spend the most time with them in your life. They're probably your friends. They're your families. They're your coworkers. They're your classmates. They're the people that are in your life every day that are watching, that you are placed before them and around them for a reason. You're going to cross paths with them a lot. They have some degree of respect for you. They're watching to see how you handle good things and bad things in your life. They're hoping and praying that you're, or they're not praying necessarily, but they're hoping that you're going to be that person for them that you're saying you are. Okay, they're, they're the people around us. Keep engaging with them. They're not ready yet, but they're going to be willing to hear. And sometimes spiritual conversations will come up. Sometimes they don't. You might spend hours or weeks or days with them and nothing significantly spiritual comes up. Don't get discouraged. Don't try to force it. Just live amongst them and engage with them in the culture. You know, Paul, what he does in situations like these people, he asked the church of Colossians, remember this? He actually says, pray for me that I have an open door to preach the gospel. My suggestion is you have those people in your life, and it's a lot of them. Just pray. Hey, I'm hanging out with this person right now. Hey, there's some spiritual things coming up. Hey, I'm going here. I pray that I would have an open door. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes I, I, you know, I, I have to admit, like, I, I feel guilty sometimes because I forget to do that. And it seems like every time I do it, spiritual things come up. And then I still forget, you know, that I should be constantly praying, like, I'm going, hanging out with this person, doing this with this person. Pray that some spiritual conversation comes up. So pray before you spend time with these people and spiritual topics will come up and you'll have the words to say. And then finally, some join him and believe. This is what we prayed for, right? This is what we prayed for. This is what we think of when we say, hey, I'm going to go tell that person about Jesus. You hope they're like, I believe, right? You hope they're like that. And then sometimes that happens, you're like, really? Okay, you're surprised. <laughs> because you're like, wow, this doesn't happen all the time. So the truth is, we talk to someone about Jesus. They trust him. Some believe and join. That is the goal of this, engaging with the culture for the sake of every person's soul. Let's be a church that does that.